Myself, Nick, and Roger, my uh, film-watching friend, as we enter episode 95 of Ribbon of Memes. This is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other aimless wanderers as masterpieces. Uh, Welcome, Roger. And welcome, everyone else. Yeah, this is not going to be Toy Story all over again. I mean, we we did that episode, and I'm still reeling from it. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're a long way from Toy Story. Um, it's almost the opposite of Toy. No, it's not. But let's not play the opposites game. But we are in 2020, and we are discussing Chloe Zhao's masterpiece? Question mark Nomadland. So, certainly a great critical success. So. It was, that, it was one of those that so everyone that, that's loved. why it's a candidate for us. It's not necessarily been a good, um, I, I think we, uh, I don't well, know. The, the, that is our basic brief. Do, do we end up thinking, yes, this is a masterpiece? Yes. Or no, it isn't. I mean, sometimes, sometimes. Sorry. Yeah, we've been varied, but I'm not sure it's the best, uh, it, it's not the most ringing endorsement sometimes. And th- this certainly starts with a huge point in its favour as far as I'm concerned, and I think you too, which is Francis McDormand. Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, well, it'd be nice to say friends of the, friend of the podcast, but certainly we are both, um, <laughs> fans of Francis McDormand. Would this be our fourth, fourth Francis McDormand? Yeah. Goodness me, we first met her in, um, Blood Simple, um, then on with, uh, Fargo, um, and then again in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and again here, No Man Land. Uh, very different characters, I think it's fair to say, in every one mm. of those films. Um, uh, here, here she is also a producer. And uh, this is a, this is a slightly strange beast of a film in that it's, I don't know, would it, is it fair to say pseudo documentary or documentary style or? Yeah. It, it was certain, this was where I started to run it, run into trouble with it. Mm. I mean, Okay, so so there's a 2017 non-fiction book by Jessica Bruder, Nobel right. Land Surviving America in the 21st Century. Okay. Which was, um, in, in an important technical and even more important legal sense, the, the book on which the film was based. <laughs> right, yes. She, yep, she, she was paid for the film rights to this book. There had been an actual documentary... Based um, on the book again? Based on the book. I, I, earlier than this, I haven't seen it. I did mean to track it down, um, for reasons that may become clear, but, um, uh, as we've been watching a lot of things and doing other things, I haven't quite had time to watch it. But, but this is the story. Now, in the book, uh, is it, is it about, um, it's explicitly journey? It's explicitly non-fiction. It's explicitly non-fiction. Fern is invented for this film. And basically, yeah, we, we have on the one hand the story of Fern, who, uh, her husband has died, uh, the industrial town that they were living in has basically closed down, nobody lives there at all anymore, there are no basic services available, whatever. Yes, um, uh, basically she, the, the, she, she the has no money, she was... has nowhere to live, she goes on the road in her van. 
Yes. Uh, and we sort of um, we, we piece that together during the film, though it's <laughs> it's it's not hidden so much as you just um, uh, it, it, you work it out from the film, and sometimes it's explicitly mentioned what's happened. Um, we don't know a lot about Fern at the start of the film, um, and we find out little pieces later on. But hers, yeah, as you say, is a, is a fictional, if not unrepresentative, story of modern America. Um, hmm. But it, uh, but everybody it, else we see, I think, almost everybody else. I think David, uh, David Stratham, sorry, not David. He plays um, Dave. Mm. Uh, is also an actor. Partially, I'm sure of that because I've seen him in other things. Yeah, um, but mo- okay, most of the people we meet are actual van nomads. Yes, uh, Swanky, Linda May, and so on, uh, and indeed Bob Wells. And th- this is where it becomes difficult to describe the the, the plot because it's <sighs> it doesn't really have a plot. It, it no, ha- I... it, it's a picaresque. It, it has this incident that shows you a bit about the world. It has that incident that shows you a bit about yeah. You know, here, here is a here is a look into a subculture you don't know about. Yeah, which is fascinating. So we learn about this this nomad culture, about these um, uh, disenfranchised people, really, um, uh, largely, as far as we can tell from the film, for the most part, sort of older, middle-aged to older people, though not not exclusively, who have um, chosen a different path to capitalism. Now, in some ways, that's not necessarily chosen. It was just forced upon them. Yeah. But they they don't want, um, uh, I guess, mortgages or... You know, marriage or responsibilities. I, d- well, I don't that, mean that quite the same way. That's the weird thing. It, it is definitely presented as a, you know, I am choosing this alternative lifestyle. Mm. My understanding is that much more it tends to be. I had no other options. You know, my yeah. ha- my my house was repossessed. Uh, I could just about pay off the debts, but then I have nothing left. And so I, so I set off living in my van because that's what I've got left. Um, and the, the, the weird thing is there is no rage here. And we've, no, well, we've seen Francis McDormand do rage. Well, this isn't, yeah, I mean, particularly in um, Three Billboards where yeah. she's a deeply but, angry character. But, you know, she, this, this is somebody who, who has bought into the capitalist contract. You know, you, 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 you give the best years of your life and then at the end you have a pension. Yes. Uh, and she ain't got that. She ain't got a house. She's got a van, which is not a great van. It's certainly not designed for sleeping in. This uh, is what's been dumped on her. There's no raging against things should be different. That's what I feel. I mean, it, it could, it yes. wouldn't help, but I feel there well, ought to be people doing it, even so. Well, she's not, um, uh, you know, absolutely against the capital order in the sense she's quite happy to pick up part-time jobs and work for huge capitalist company you know amazon features quite heavily in this well not quite heavily but it features in this film um and you see the inside of an amazon work where warehouse and how it was going to work so she's not sort of anti-capitalist one of the more reliable seasonal jobs you know when major holidays are coming up they get a lot more warehouse people packers all the rest of it 
Well, what was it? Because quite soon after starting to watch this film, you again reminded me, as numerous other people have done, to read um, On the Clock uh, by oh, Emily Gundelsberger. Yes, who, uh, and that's basically On, the story Honestly, of... I found it worth reading simply for the preface about journalistic ethics and who, whom she quoted and how much and why. Oh, well, that I have read because I downloaded the free <laughs> Kindle version, um, the the preview version, and I do mean to read it. But that, is, you know, um, but a, in any case, what, one of the three uh, casual jobs she takes as examples is um, Amazon warehouse stuff. And it's you know that book. Well, you can speak about it more than me, but it really is an expose of what it's like, the soul destroying nature of these low minimum wage, low wage. Well, uh, also health no security jobs. One, yes. one of the things is, uh, essentially, it's doing the classic capitalist thing of externalizing its costs because, you know, you, you do the job for a month, two months, three months, and it breaks you. Yeah. And then you take some time off, brackets unpaid. Yes. While you get healthy again. But then there's always more suckers to break. And then you, then you go <laughs> back this. because yeah. you, you gotta get some money. So I guess um, quite early on, I think both of us sort of expected it to be along those lines, that kind of expose. But it isn't really, as you say. No one's. She's actually seems to be having quite a nice time, <laughs> to be honest. You know, she's happy when she's working. I mean, okay, um, crapping in a bucket, not great, but well, that's not part of the. Well, I don't really <laughs> get into um, allegations against Amazon, but that's her lifestyle rather than her job. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I was just th- thinking of the, the fan life as a whole. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, fair point. But, uh, you know, as far as an expose of these jobs go, it, it isn't really, you know. And, and as you say, I was struck. I think this is partially because of the documentary, pseudo-documentary style of it. No one is angry or bitter we see sadness and nostalgia but everyone is quite calm and nice <laughs> you know mm. even the people that are giving a bad news um and i i i think maybe that is a a slight flaw of the the way it's filmed because these aren't actors and you know we've seen plenty of films with um actors who aren't actors um uh no Noma? I've forgotten the name of it. Was it Noma? Um, Roma. Roma, thank you. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of cast who'd never acted before. But this is... The, the thing is, that really struck me, actually, was uh, the, the parallel with Goodfellas. Um, and I believe we talked about this back in episode, whatever it was, where the, the jo- vast majority of the cast are working actors and they know what they're yes. doing. And then all of a sudden you get uh, Edward, Edward MacDonald. Mm-hmm. As the, who is the actual Edward MacDonald who actually met uh, Henry Hill in, I don't know if it was that room, I think maybe it was. The, the uh, actual, and, and he, he looks like a different sort of person. Yes. And, and I, to be fair to this film, it doesn't happen so much here. You know, Frances McDormand is 60 something when this is being made. Yes. She, you know, she, she is still frankly gorgeous, but she does yes. not look like the hot young woman that most female actors are expected to look like physically she fits in um yeah. and she is uh i think it's uncontro- uncontroversial for us to say that we both think she's a phenomenally good actress mm. um but she still exactly is as i i 
I think you're alluding to as well. There's a disconnect there because whatever she's doing and it's acting very well, it is of a slightly different nature to what everyone else is doing in the film. Yeah, well, you, it, you raised one particular conversation uh, yes. where she she is talking about um, the death of her husband. Yes. Brackets, fictional. With yeah. with Bob Wells, who is talking about the death of his son, brackets, as far as I understand it, not fictional. Uh, certainly the emotion, to, I mean, if he is acting in, in that, I mean, I don't... It made me feel very uncomfortable for a start because we have sort of someone discussing the fiction, the death of their fictional husband with the death of, you know, his actual son. And I don't, I'm not me, I don't feel, uh, presumably he doesn't feel exploited by it, but it, it was such a jarring, uh, I, I suppose the effect of it, whatever the, you know, the ethics of it, and, you know, he's presumably fine with it, it just completely brought me out of it, um, in that I'm like, He's not real that Francis McDormand's talking about, and this is his son, and and you see the sort of the, you know, he can barely bring himself to say what's happened to mm. his son, um, and I just, I just, it completely brought me out of it. I was just constantly thinking, and, and so from then on, well, not from then on because it had happened before, but that was the most jarring example of it. However good Francis McDormand's performance is, um, it's a. It is a performance, and I, I was just constantly questioning myself in front of these other people. What are they thinking? Because she's like, she's just pretending, and they're living it. And I, I just found it very distracting. The whole pseudo documentary style of it. Yeah, I, I understand they did go part way, and uh, McDormand and the crew were largely living out of vans during the shoot. Right. So there's a certain yes. amount of that, and I, I couldn't help thinking that the the version of this that I would have expected to see, I don't know, perhaps would have liked to see. I, I, I don't want to do that thing where I blame a film for not being the film that I thought of. Yes. Um, but I was thinking about something like, you know, here is the documentary with the interviews and here is somebody trying to live the life, sort of reality TV style. Yes. You know, they, they are trying to actually live in the actual van with the actual hundred bucks. But, yeah, they, no. but they, you know, just out of shot, there is, there is a support crew in case they're going to die. <laughs> um, I think I would have preferred it as two separate films, really. I think I would have well, preferred... Well, you, you, you could have had the two together, you know. Some, some, you know she, she is trying to change a tyre in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then is talking with people about, you know, how do you deal with mechanical failures when you're not a mechanic? You could cut them together, but... I, I feel that would have worked, but it, that would have been less jarring for me than the fictionalised version plus the real people stories. Well, that, I, I think if there'd been one entirely fictional story and it was just Fran's story, it would have had Francis McDormand in. I would have watched it. You know, I probably <laughs> would have really enjoyed it. But I think, frankly, I would have then preferred the DVD extra documentary, which, as you say, has already been produced, which is why I'd really like to watch that documentary. That it's just the documentary, just talking to these people. Because um, I found that uh, it's a bit like as I've got older, and I I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know why, but I I feel unless I'm when I'm reading fiction, I feel a strong sense of you're wasting your time. <laughs> Read something factual. There's so much to learn about the real world. And that's not, it's nonsense. I mean, I know there's a lot you can learn about fiction for the real world. But I feel this strong sense of that whenever I try and read fiction. 
unless it's really gripping fiction and drags me into it, which is not, you know, I like to watch a lot. I watch a lot of fictional movie. We haven't, you know, discussed a documentary yet. But having the two of these together made me feel like, but I'm much more interested in the reality than this fiction. Mm. And, it, and it just constantly pulled me out of it. Um, I mean, I, I am much more keen on fiction than you, but... Um... I, well, this I, is anyone I'm reading. Yeah, well, it's a, because the actual it's a, and it's um, I don't say it's a shame. I did enjoy the film. I enjoyed um, her performance, and I we go back to her performance because yeah, she's the only kind of performance in it, um, as we say, aside from Dave. Um, and she doesn't actually. She's a real. She's not quite an introvert. I suppose she is an introvert, really. Um, but she doesn't interact with a lot of people other than these kind of documentary style people um and uh, so the story is or her story such that it is is quite slow she uh, does a number of jobs she sort of has a uh, a semi or an early relationship with dave who's quite keen well, on her dave is keen on her as far as as far as i can see she's not <laughs> particularly interested in him that's what we get from the and and again uh, I want a, a shout out to Francis McDormand as if uh, we need to but there's a moment right at the start of the film when she's just looking through stuff from uh, from a storage container and you can tell exactly what it means to her just from her acting just from her facial acting mm. everything that she's looking at you can tell what it means and that's. Um, uh, Apologies for that motorbike <laughs> shooting past. Um, you can, uh, you can. T- she, she's just such a great act- actor. Um, but the story itself, I mean, it's pretty basic. She does some jobs. She's attracted back to life on the road. Um, Dave basically is given a lifeline. And again, this goes back to your, you know, on the one hand, it's portrayed as a choice to do this nomadic lifestyle, but often. You get the impression if any of them were given a choice <laughs> that um, they would probably go back to living in a house. Well, she... Also, you've got the family dynamics. You know, these are not people from rich families. Yes, uh, as, as these things go, and so you know, as far as the, as far as their hosts are concerned, it's do we really want Granddad living with us all, all the time? Yes. And then, well, hang on, he's going to die of pneumonia if if we if it isn't living if he's living in that van. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, and we don't want that on our conscience. That, that's um, the thing. I, I must admit, I I do not know a lot about van life in general, or you know, campers or whatever. But I do know that if they are not designed for sleeping in, they tend not to be well insulated, and they get I, sodding cold. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and um, well, we get that intimated in the film. But um, but her story is that you know she's offered this choice to go back to uh, living in a house, basically back to normality, yeah. and she she does you know she's given a choice and she chooses the nomad lifestyle, which is uh, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure we quite know enough about her. Uh, I suppose we do learn about her, and it's well acted, and it's not it doesn't it doesn't. It's not jarring in that, you know, you don't, you're not like, why are you doing that? You absolutely understand because of the character she's. But I, I, I think it would be fair to say that the narrative, such as it is, is not really about her. She, she is a convenient reason for the camera to be here rather than somewhere else. So, and that ties things together a bit. Yes. But, but I think she, I mean, 
all right, at the start, she is leaving stuff in the storage area, and at the end, she is saying to the storage guy, okay, just sell it and send me the money. Yeah, so there is a, so a, a, there's, a so kind there's some of a character progress, arc, but yeah. it's not a lot of character progress. But then that brought me out of it as well, because then I, I agree with you, she was really there to tell the story of these other nomads, but they were there. <laughs> they could have mm. told us. But for all that, it does spend a lot of time on her story. Like the second half is a lot about her going to Dave's and sitting down and thinking about it. And what, mm. and there isn't so much time on the other nomad. I, you know, the, the part that I probably like the best is when she's getting to know, um, ooh, what was her name? The, the, the swanky. Swanky. Um, yeah. Uh, who, and again, this, it just, at every turn, I was just like, oh, is this real? Because Swanky uh, is a real person, who uh, Charlie, Charlene Swanky, but presumably she didn't die in a narratively convenient fashion during the <laughs> film. So what was that? So then when she's saying I got cancer, was is that true or is that? It just I constantly I'm like, well, which is this real? I don't. <laughs> and it, I, I found it. Oh, I don't want to keep moaning about it, but it, it just. Every scene for the, so I guess I'm getting a, I'm trying to get, a, that was my favourite part because it felt like real. And as you say, then we had some actual useful tips from someone who's lived this life and is like, what are you doing if you don't do that? If you don't have basic survival tactics, this is actually really dangerous. Don't, this isn't just something to muck about with for fun. Yeah. One of the things about the US in particular, of course, is it has these huge distances with basically nobody in them. Yes. Which is, which is quite alien to us in the UK, where you're, frankly, in most places, unlikely to be out of easy walking distance to somebody's house. Yes, I was listening to a podcast about someone who's, um, uh, this is, uh, the podcast is, um, Tim Harford's Caution Dream Tales, I should plug, because it's really good. But it's about a sat-nav that basically sent someone the wrong way in Death Valley. And the consequence of that is they die. You know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not going to happen in the UK. Um but th- thinking about that, so we, we, we've talked occasionally about that whole great big open landscape yes. uh, in, in Badlands, well, very first episode, uh, but also, yeah. also in Thelma and Louise as they're gradually getting away from civilization into the wide open spaces and so on. Yes. And yeah. very often it, it's the whole Western uh, meme set, I guess. It, it means freedom. And it really, yeah. I mean, it sort of means freedom here, but it also means I could scream my head off and nobody would know until until the, the somebody passed and saw a higher than usual density of carrion birds. <laughs> yes, it's um, well, it, it's freedom with a significant, a bit like capitalism, I suppose, freedom with a significant number of <laughs> of caveats. Um, but it gets across, you know, that is a, the loneliness is something that you know some of them crave as well. Uh, but I, yeah, at every turn, the film had me wishing. And yes, we shouldn't criticise it for being something it isn't. But but what it is, I found too jarring. And uh, the other thing is, when when we're talking to these other nomads, particularly um, Bob uh, Bob Wells, who is a I, I believe is a YouTube personality, as they say nowadays, amongst other uh, things. Uh, but a, a lot of them, really, the way they're speaking is very documentary style, and they're often sitting in chairs in the way you see with documentaries now. But in the yeah, place that, that inter- bit where they, they've cut out the interviewer asking the question, yeah, exactly. So, that so, style so it looks where, as if they're talking spontaneously. 
Exactly. And it, it really feels like that. And then you have Francis McDormand as Fran, you know, perfectly appearing perfectly natural and fitting in with them. And I, I, I don't want really to keep going on about my problems with it because it, it, it's, it's a fast, you know, there's a lot to say about what does it say about the state of, um, modern America and capitalism that people would rather choose this life than the, than the, but I don't know. Is there a significant kind of traveller community in America? Because that's the other obvious. Well, there has always been migrant labour. Yeah. Since since being migrant labour became a possible thing, um, and se- seasonal work is by definition unreliable work. Uh, mm. So, I mean, it still happens, but it, it, it's not a huge part of the economy. And what? the the thing I found myself thinking was, well, can, can, all right. So, you know, you're you're going to point A when the work season is happening there, then point B, point C, and then back round the cycle again. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, okay, you get some gorgeous views, but is this really very different from living to go to your office job? You know, you, yeah. you are basically you are basically wor- working working to survive, and you're surviving in order to go to the next job. Yes. And, I mean, I've met people who had dropped out of society. Mm. Um, and they wanted to make art or write a book or, you know, build, build a, build a self-sufficient commune and things like that. And there's none of that here because, you know, they don't have the resources to do it. No. But uh, I guess this is why I ask about, you know, traveller community in the sense of a community of people that travels from place to place, usually moved on by the, the council. Um, uh, and they, you know, that community, which I don't know a lot about either, does seem to have dropped out of society in a much more sort of cohesive way. You know, they've sort of chosen it, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, in the UK, there is still a bit of seasonal work, and there, there will be some of that as well. But is there is there not a, you know, these people seemed much more individualistic and less of a community. They got together, mm. and they were more of a, a nomadic tribe you know we so, certainly they're, they're all traveling separately in their ones and twos rather than a great big convoy yeah and so i don't know it, i'm not sure quite what the difference is and that's why i'd be well i can see what the difference is but i'm not sure why both uh, exist um uh, i i suppose i i'm stumbling over my words and wondering because i don't feel like actually i did learn a great deal about this society it, it's Absolutely, it's piqued my interest, and I'm fascinated by it and the people in it. Um, but I don't feel like I learned a lot from it. But then it wasn't a documentary. But then it kind of was. So. Yeah, I, I found myself wondering, you know, all right, you've got these people getting together, essentially in the middle of nowhere at mm. at some some arranged rendezvous. What do you get if somebody is violent or somebody is a rapist? You know, do do they? Do they call the police? Do do they just spread the word that you don't want to be alone with this guy? Yeah, how does that work? Well, that's it. Yeah, it was. It's quite an idyllic view of it, told by people in this took it, and and there was no kind of bad feeling about anyone. But exactly as you say, you know, there's reason police forces are. Uh, are I mean, there's significant problems with the way society deals with. It. But that, I guess that's the same as you know the idolised view of rural towns and, and place where everyone knows your name is you know there's a lot of disadvantages to that sort of thing <laughs> they, well. they know about the affair you're having exactly yeah, yeah. and and um you know there's a lot of um 
spousal abuse goes on behind closed doors in in uh, in any community. Um, yeah, but yeah, and, and, that... and, and you know, there, there have been occasions. Uh, there, there was one uh, street in in a northern town where essentially the the wives got together and had had words with their husbands, and the particular bloke found he was unable to walk for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, as you say, that is. But that, yeah, that, that was the classic. The, the the wife will not make a formal report because chances are she won't be believed anyway. This this was in the in the sixties. Um, well, and, communities and so have ways of dealing with things, don't they? But this is, yeah, we we didn't investigate. The problem any is of the, the... the same thing could happen if if they got completely the wrong guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's well. That's not entirely eliminated by having a police force, though. Is Indeed. It? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It, it, I agree with you. It, it, it is. I mean, you, you could watch this film and think, "Yeah, this looks like fun. I could sell all my stuff and do that." Yeah, and I do not think it would be a lot of fun. I mean, there would be obviously great moments. Well, the, you know, the, the, the conference they had, and it was nice to see them all, you know, sitting together and laughing and discussing. But that to me is just people of their own tribe. That had a feeling to me of us, uh, you know, going to a board games meeting or role playing games. You know, when you're with your tribe, that's how you feel very relaxed, your guard's down and you can enjoy yourself. Um, so that, I, I don't know that I thought, oh, this community's unique amongst other communities. Look at them. I, I just thought, oh, th- she's, she's amongst her own. That's mm. nice. But I didn't feel any particular need to go and um, live in a van. I, I, I felt like there's lots to say and discuss about modern America. But I reckon I'd get more of that by... And, and this is unfair again, because I'm criticising for what it wasn't, but I'd probably rather read On the Clock or watch the documentary than watch this confusing, to me, uh, fictionalised but very close to reality thing. But the impression I'm getting from watching the film is that, yeah, yes, there are problems, but you can overcome them and everybody pulls together and it's basically okay. Yeah, I agree. It, it's a very... Positive. And, I mean, obviously somebody who doesn't feel that way isn't going to be continuing to have that life if they have any choice in the matter. And, you know, we uh, have the the death of um, uh, Swanky. Uh, Swanky? Yeah. Um, we have the death of Swanky, but it's done in a very, um, you know, pleasant way. She had, and, I, you know, there's lots to touch well, on. Well, one know, of the things with an ephemeral community like that is that you don't... You're not there when somebody dies. You you turn up at the next meet and they aren't there. Yeah, um, which is very that's... very much the same sort of thing you get in science fiction fandom. And then you get you know that nice you know Bob Wells's you know I'll see you down the road and that you know that was a nice sentiment and I absolutely understand the sentiment of uh, you know basically Swanky I'm not going to die in a hospital. It's going to be on mm-hmm. my own terms and that's you know that's. There's much to discuss there and unpack and, uh, uh, again, some films want to discuss it and some just want to sort of show you and, and they think they're both appropriate, but it felt a bit idealized. Um, there's nothing pleasant about dying in a hospital, but there's equally nothing pleasant about dying on your own in a wilderness. Um, or indeed at 55 it. miles an hour when there's a car coming head on towards you. Well, this is quick, <laughs> <laughs> quicker than the other alternative. Yeah. Um, I'm running out of steam a bit more to say, really. I feel like I've been very... I'd... It well, makes... Chloe Zhao. Um, this is her yes. third feature film. Uh, she 
born in China, educated early life in China, then UK and US. Uh, previous two films, Songs My Brothers Taught Me, which is, uh, I, I haven't seen either of them, but the impression I'm guessing is basically life on the reservation and you can try to get out, but probably you aren't going to manage it because it's really hard. Right. And uh, The Rider, which uh, does intrigue me a bit, you know, how, how you, you've been brought up to think that this activity is is being a man. It's it's what real men do. Yeah. And it's going to kill you if you do it again. Maybe not the first time, but it is going to kill you. So right. how so how do you carry on being a man? In when, this, in this yeah, case, it, 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 it's rodeo riding and I believe spinal injury. Uh, yeah, I've, there's other films that have uh, explored similar things, but that, yeah, oh, that sounds fascinating, yeah, I'd be interested in that. Now, is that a, now that's a drama, isn't it, again? But yeah. See, straight away I'm like, is this a documentary? Or a... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the, these are not by any means big name actors, but uh, they, they are actors rather than, uh, as far as I understand it, ra- rather than people grabbed off the street. Uh, well, again, I don't mind. It, quite, we've seen, um, uh, as I say, a number of films uh, where we have non-professional actors, and it, when they're all doing the same thing, it's fine. I was just here; it was um, jarring. I did, I did find it very interesting. It's a very beautiful in its way. Well, I mean, it's beautiful and bleak, kind of mm. magnificent desolation, as Buzz Aldrin might say. <laughs> um, but it's, um, uh, but it's very well shot. Frances McDormand is. Phenomenally, you know, she's, uh. She's, she's credible as her character. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I did enjoy it, but I, I did constantly get pulled out and, and found myself, um, uh, jarred by it. But I'd certainly be interested in watching more of Chloe Jane. And it, it, if that didn't happen to other people watching it, I can understand why they would find it fascinating. I didn't find Fern's journey all that interesting mm. if i'm if i'm totally honest is that fair to say for you as well yeah i mean interesting a bit because of who was playing her but not yeah. interesting in itself well as i said before we start just right before we start the podcast would i have enjoyed this film nearly so much uh if it wasn't francis mcdormand i don't know that's a hard question to answer but i suspect probably not i think if it had been the same shape of film with somebody else in that role then the answer mm. is no that's probably true. That's probably true. Uh, very worthy, uh, and I can see why people liked it a lot. Um, but, uh, well, have you got anything else you'd like to say? Well, shall, shall we talk about uh, 2020 in film? Yes, let's say. Uh, but for the record, not a masterpiece for me, but certainly very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've said before, lots of things worked well. And I'm always a bit uncomfortable say, saying, well, yeah, that, this was great and that was great, but no, not a masterpiece for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, let's move on to uh, 2022, 2020 in film. Yeah, so, so there was there was this um, small... small um, Anything happened in 2020? I don't remember. I don't know, I was asleep, man. Uh, <laughs> you lucky bastard. <laughs> but, yeah... Um, this was the the first year China overtook North America as uh, world's largest box office market. Uh, it was. A, I'm not sure it's fair to say it was a particularly representative box office for any. Country yeah, the, in the, world. the the North American was down to 2.3 billion, which is basically late 70s, early 80s sort of level. Right, and there has been inflation since. Um, 
but because uh, the Asian markets did a better job of uh, dealing with it, you know, you got, we've got six out of uh, the top ten box office are Chinese and Japanese productions. Fascinating. Okay. Um, but we'll we'll come back to the um, box office. So at the Academy Awards, No Bad Lad is the big winner. Okay. Uh, it's got, it's got three awards. They're all major awards. Uh, best picture, best director, and best actress. Um, that is unique in several ways. Uh, it is the, I think the first time I, the same person had won for a production role and an acting role in the same film. Okay. For a start. Uh, it's the second ever, um, female best director. Second ever? Who was the first? Catherine well, Bigelow. Oh, I was going to say. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Well deserved. Um, for, uh, therefore, also first non-white woman. Um, Frances McDormand becomes the seventh person to win a third acting Oscar. Very good. What was it, Fargo and um, Three Billboards? I think so. I don't remember exactly. Um yeah, so Oscars were acting and producing. I think there may be actor-director wins before, but this was an acting-producing win. Was um, it nominated for, like, Best Adapted Screenplay? Or I wonder how they spanned the the slightly blurred uh, lines. It was nominated for Adapted Screenplay, but it didn't win. Okay. Uh, the second winner was a winner for, for Adapted Screenplay, in fact, The Father. Uh, that was also Anthony Hopkins for Best Actor, the oldest person ever to win Best Actor. Uh, it's basically a psychological drama film. Right, okay. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, supporting actor for Judas and the Black Messiah, a biographical crime drama about Fred Hampton, uh, Black okay. Panthers, Illinois chairman. Yeah, I, I would like to see that actually. Is that, um, that's uh, one of um, Spike Lee's, is it? Uh, no, uh, Shaka King. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, it's funny I, how little I remember of any of these, but then 2020 was a bit of a rough year for all of us, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, uh, one of the other winners in our next episode, but yeah, the, I, I mean, there, there was, yeah, Academy Award voting has been remote for many years anyway. There, mm. There's the whole sending out screeners and all the rest of it. So that was not severely impacted. Uh, but, yeah. I, th- I think everybody was feeling, yeah, we, we haven't really got the box office as a guide. Um, so yeah, looking at the box office. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, An there's... unusual one. It'd be interesting to well, hear. Well, there's just a lot that we that we have never heard of because we aren't watching films in Chinese, Japanese, etc. So, uh, Shockwave Two um, is a Hong Kong action film. They are still making Hong Kong action films, which is good to know. Uh, st- <laughs> starring Andy Lau, also he's also the producer. Oh, another bloody sequel! It's a standalone sequel. I mean, it is a sequel to Shockwave, but it doesn't have any of the same characters. Okay, that's a, that's a nice take on a sequel. Uh, so, number nine, A Little Red Flower, a Chinese romantic drama. Okay. And uh, number eight, Jiang Zia, uh, which is basically Chinese mythology. This is basically making me feel incredibly ignorant. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's probably a better way to feel than, uh, depressed. Well, now, now we move into the, uh, English language section. 
And it, it, that's a good way to feel depressed, because at number seven we have Doolittle. Okay. <laughs> the, the one uh, starring Robert Downey Jr. See, this is, we've reached the phase where to do a sequel now, you just use the surname of the person like Rambo or John Rambo or Rocky Balboa or I mean, I, I have Lightyear. A I have a certain amount of time for the, Rocky, for the Dr. Doolittle books. But I, yeah. did, I, I didn't think they were asking for yet another film. Uh, talking of which, number six, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Can we get back to the Asian? <laughs> uh, n- number five, Tenet. Oh, I saw that. Which? That is very Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I mean, it, it pulled in 365 million, which shows you how, how low the grosses were. We've been seeing, you know, billion plus. In, now in this was, there was but, controversy but it, it was against. Con- it was considered a major box office failure, even at but number it, five. He'd kind of. I may be misremembering, so, but I have a feeling either he or someone associated basically told people to go to the cinema, and this was at a time when it still wasn't. Uh, it was still at a stage in the pandemic where that probably wasn't very good advice. Hmm. I would argue hmm. that it still isn't, but yeah. Well, that's why I was fumbling over, I guess. <laughs> um, it it I was can't... certainly one of the first to be seen um, after after uh, cinemas started reopening in general. But it, and, I think it started... It, it, it had a wider opening than it would have expected as a result of that. And even yeah. even with that, even being you know, the first film you could see after a long time of seeing no films at all, it did really quite badly. It's, I, I saw it on streaming... Not long after that, so it must have gone to streaming quite quickly. Uh, number four. You're going to love this one. Mm. Bad Boys for Life. Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, <laughs> Bad Boys 3. This wasn't the Will Smith Ox- Oscars, was it? That was, I don't know, like 2022 <laughs> or 2021. Um, I mean, I, I have a certain soft spot for Bad Boys 2, not having ever actually seen it, uh, because of Hot Fuzz. Um, I think I have seen Bad Boys which I quite liked but by this stage um, I'm afraid I do find Martin Lawrence a bit of an Adam Sandler for me in that I find him incredibly Mm. irritating to watch Um, not Will Smith um, but uh, but certainly Martin Lawrence I struggle to watch too much so uh, number three My People My Homeland um, Chinese anthology comedy five short stories they sound way better than the English language stuff. Uh, at number two, uh, The 800, which is a war drama, uh, based actually on the uh, defence of Sihang Warehouse in Shanghai. Um, oh, first thing. Dur- during the Battle of Shanghai, yeah, 1937, uh, Second Sino-Japanese that War. That I would be fascinated to watch, but that's partially because I'm reading a lot about Shanghai at the moment. Um, I, I, still I thought it was some terrible sequel to 300. Yeah, I still want to run a game... Uh, set in the Shanghai Municipal Police. Oh yeah, that'd in, be, in, in yeah the, sometime in the sort of mid thirties. That would be amazing. Um, and number one, uh, an animated film, uh, Dra- Dragon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Mugen, the movie Mugen Train. Uh, That's a mouthful. Yeah, so it's a Shonen manga series Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, uh, which has been going for. A while, uh, uh, 20, uh, okay, 2016 to 2020. I'm going to make a confession. It's, it's, it's shorter I, than some of these runs. I really struggle with anime and manga. Um, I just, the aesthetic, I just don't, 
I just I just don't respond well to it. Partly, this, I mean, anyone who knows anything about anime or manga will be shouting at this point, but I, to me, it just feels vaguely low-grade sexist all the time, and I don't... Sometimes high-grade sexist, um, and also sexualization of, of uh, infants or children, and I... Um, that is probably a very old-fashioned view of manga, but that's what I experienced when I looked into it and bounced off it, and I struggled to enjoy any anaesthetic... Uh, anaesthetic? quite enjoy anaesthetic. <laughs> I struggled to enjoy any aesthetic uh, in the manga style. Um, yeah, I have um, seen, um, uh, uh, oh, God bless me, Akira, of course. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more of an anime fan than a manga fan. I, I um, just no, never, not really been a big comics fan in general. Um, mm. The the thing is, anime is it, it's it's about as wide as live action Western film yeah, as a yeah, category. Yeah. Fair enough. And yes, there are def- there is definitely stuff with problems. There, there are some categories. You know, sh- shonen is the manga slash anime for I think it's boys up to about twelve thirteen. I think it's yeah. a crossover. Um, yeah, and there's there's a lot of um, you know I, I I will say the name of my attack before I hit you with this and all that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, there, there are there are some truly excellent series. Uh, I think what's and there is me- some utter rubbish. There, there is an aesthetic that it all shares, and, and uh, cer- certainly, I think um, there is a degree of sexism that is a lot more acceptable in Japan than here. Yeah, uh, but what? And I totally accept it's a very broad, and I, I'm probably damning a huge. Uh, well, I am damning a huge. Uh, just uh, for me, I was turned off that aesthetic, and mm. having been having disliked it, I struggled then to like anything that shares that aesthetic. I think yeah, I mean, I, I may one day say, here is a really amazing series that you should watch, but mm. <laughs> there's, not, there's a lot more stuff out there that we can watch. Well, that's it. It's also a convenient shorthand to, here's a whole section of culture that I don't have to worry about, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm probably not going to uh, watch any of it. But yes, if you strongly recommended something, I wouldn't be totally against it. Um, but yeah, we should I mean, watch I, some uh, some anime for the film for the for the podcast now. Yeah, hmm, I'll think about that. Hmm. But yeah, but part of the thing is to to me it, it's it's very much a um, serialized format. You know, you you've got your twenty five minute episode yeah. plus advertisements, and you have your slab of twelve or thirteen or twenty six. Yeah, and very often that is a complete story. Or sometimes right. we we out we outran the publication of the manga, and so we just stop, and then we didn't get renewed, which is quite <laughs> frustrating. Uh, <laughs> if only that had happened to Game of Thrones. <laughs> but yeah, well, yes. I mean, sometimes they do pastiche. Okay, um, it, it's it, it can get messy, but um, <laughs> I I don't think I mean, that there have been. Certainly, good anime films that are you know, films as as you know, sort of ninety plus minutes. And I well, as I say, I've a- seen Akira. He's he's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, Demon Slayer is not my style. <laughs> the, at least we may be discussing the wrong film. Certainly, it's not got a lot to do with No Man's Land. But um, but yeah, I thought it might be worth um, expressing that so I can get some hate mail in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was that was um, 
Yeah, that was 2020, um, and that was a, a year we'd probably all like to forget. But we're going to revisit it again for our next episode. Uh, and thank you again, Francis McDormand, for another fine performance. Mm. Um, and Frankie, thank you, Chloe Zhao, for uh, an interesting perspective. But it didn't yeah, quite work for me. It comes out in the end to, I'd like to know about this stuff. Yeah. It's not the approach I'd, I'd have taken, but it works on its own terms. It just doesn't work superbly well on its own terms. Yes. Not for us, anyway. Lovely. All right. Well, then I will um, climb back in my van and try and uh, live through the night before we meet again. Clunk. Brr.